I never, I never fail to get chills. Whenever, whenever we do that song together, it is well with my soul, especially that last, that last verse. That last verse always does it for me. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. See, I'm tearing up already. And the Lord shall descend. Even well, it is, even so, it is well with my soul. Makes me tear up. Makes me, makes me, makes me, makes me get chill bumps every time. If you got your Bible, um, open up the Luke chapter 6. We're going to be reading a pretty large portion of Luke this morning. If you don't have a Bible, do me a favor and grab one of those Bibles that are on your pew. <clears throat> because we're going to be spending a little, bit of, a little bit of time inside of this scripture this morning. Go ahead and be uh, looking for Luke 6. I'm going to try my best not to preach a very long sermon this morning. Instead, what I would like for us to do is I would really, really like for us to allow this scripture to speak for itself and not so much me expounding on it because that's what the Bible does and that's what the Bible, that's what scripture is supposed to do. Uh, I want you guys to really dive into it and allow this scripture to speak for itself more than, more than me talking about it. Allow the words of Jesus. And these, what we're going to read, are the words of Jesus to seep deep within our minds and within our hearts. And like I said, this is going to be a pretty, a pretty large piece of Scripture, a pretty long piece of Scripture that we're going to go through together. And uh, I'm going to read it very slowly. And as, and as we do this together, again, I want you to try to open yourselves up. You know that conviction I talked about a second ago with that song? I don't think that's just emotion. I don't think that's just uh, sentimentality. I think that's the Holy Spirit with me. Because Sandy will tell you, I'm not a very emotional person. <laughs> I'm not a very sentimental person. And it's not, not, I don't, that's nothing for, to brag about, but I'm just not. Uh, but when I'm in church and I, hear, and, I hear th and I hear those words, and I hear the words of Scripture, and I hear the words of these old hymns, and my, my eyes well up, and, and I get chills, you can't tell me that's not the Holy Spirit convicting me to some point. So that's what I'm hoping will happen to you guys this morning as we go through these scriptures. I want you and I hope that you do feel some kind of sense of conviction. And in all honesty, what we're going to be reading together is going to be difficult. It's going to be it's going to be a hard pill for all of us to swallow. And it should be a hard pill for all, all of us to swallow. You should feel challenged by it. You should feel challenged by the words that we're about to read together. It should challenge you uh, in your walk as a Christian. In all honesty, it should make you probably a little bit uncomfortable. Because again, that's what Scripture is supposed to do to us. That's what Scripture does for us. That's what Jesus does for us. You know, I've always said, you know, Scripture convicts, the Holy Spirit convicts Christians too. The Holy Spirit's not just out there convicting non-Christians. Hopefully, we spend a lifetime with God convicting us of our own shortcomings, of our own sins. And that's what I want, I hope, and... Uh, will happen with some of you guys this morning. Luke chapter 6, going to be starting in verse 20. Luke 6, we're going to be going all the way through uh, 36. So start in verse 20. 
Looking at his disciples, Jesus said this. He said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and when they insult you, and when they reject your name as evil because of me or because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and you will weep. And woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. For if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lead to sinners, lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. The Word of God for the people of God. Let me ask you guys, was anybody moved at all during that time that we read that? You don't have to say it out loud. Just <laughs> nod your head or answer, answer, answer with your internal monologue. Were you confronted with anything? Were you convicted about anything? 
because I'm going to be honest, I can't, I can't read these words without recognizing and, and admitting my own shortcomings. I can't do that. Again, I can't lie about it. In these words, Jesus really shows us what the kingdom of God looks like. And he challenges me and he challenges all those who call, who call themselves to disciples, as disciples. He calls us to embrace a way of thinking and a way of being that runs completely contrary to our sinful nature. A way of thinking, a way of being, and a way of living that is completely opposite of our nature. It runs contrary to my, and I suspect your nature, to, dis <laughs> to despise and take revenge on our enemies and those who cross me. Furthermore, he goes on to say that spiritual blessings, in the beginning of what we read, spiritual blessings come from those things which the world seeks so greatly to avoid. Let's talk about those just, just for a few minutes. You probably recognize some of these words. This is very, what we just read out of Luke is very, very similar. Some of it's very similar to what you find in the Gospel of Matthew 5 through 7 in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You know, remember all the blessed, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Very similar words, but it's, not, it's probably not the same sermon because there's, there's, a, few, there's a few variances here. This is, this is sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. And um, again, just as in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts, he starts with these blessed, these blessed are words. So let me just hit on that for just, just a second. Um, over the last few months, I've gotten, <laughs> this, is, this is the beauty of the Internet, I've gotten to uh, talking with a, another United Methodist pastor up in, uh, up in Ohio. Uh, he just, he, he's, a, he's actually a professor. He is, he is a local pastor up there. Um, but he does a lot of writing. And evidently, he's going to be concentrating on this particular passage. Uh, he's going to be concentrating, when he preaches today, on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew. Uh, but what he writes, is really, we can really apply to, to both sermons, to, especially to what we just heard um, in Luke. But he wrote an article about that, and I want to quote this because I think it's so very important. And this is what he wrote. His name is Alan Bevere, by the way. He wrote, if one reads, if we read the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain that we just read from Luke, if one reads the Sermon on the Mount and is not made uncomfortable, and I mean really uncomfortable by Jesus' words, then one has either attained perfection or they truly have not read it. This is what's important to me. What, and what, that's true. That statement, I think, is very true. But this is what's important that we understand that he writes about. Some interpreters of the Sermon on the Mount or Jesus' words or the Sermon on the Plain, some interpreters of that see Jesus' words as being so divine that they possibly cannot be followed or lived out in the here and now. We need to state in no uncertain terms that Jesus' words are meant are meant for the here and now, and they are not just to serve as some ideal of what should be. My friend Alan believes that Jesus means what he said. He don't think it's just some divine thing that we possibly can't attain, that Jesus was giving us some example, just, just some example of perfection. He was telling us how to be. Let's be very, very clear about that. I think certain things in the Bible are very, very clear, especially those red words. I take a lot of biblical interpretation classes as, as, part of, as part of my schooling, and we talk about a lot of things. We talk about 
how to interpret Scripture through proper context and language and culture and politics and all this stuff. And a lot of that's very true. You can't interpret Scripture correctly, some Scripture correctly without doing it. But at the end of the day, some Scripture is just doggone plain. Some Scripture is just plain and means exactly what it says it means. And I think this is one of them. I've always thought this is one of them. I think Jesus expects us and wants us to be exactly what he says he expects us and wants us to be. My friend Alan believes that, and incidentally, John Wesley also believed that. He was a big advocate of the Sermon on the Mount and the words of Jesus and what we think are these impossible callings. They're not impossible. They're not impossible. They run counter to our nature. They run counter to our sinful nature, but they're not impossible. Most of the time, we just don't want to do it, and that's just a matter. That's just, that's just a matter of fact. So what we start off with are these blessed statements. Let's get back to that. Blessed are. Blessed, blessed are those certain people. Just as he does in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses these statements to begin the Sermon on the Plain. And again, one more quote from my buddy up there. He wrote, In the blessed statements, we encounter the qualities of the kingdom citizen, the character of the kingdom citizen that Jesus expects us to embody in our own lives. There it is again. It is an upside-down kind of wisdom from the so-called conventional wisdom and the ways of the world. Look at them one more time, verses 20 through 23. These blessed statements. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and they insult you, and they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Nobody wants to be poor. Nobody wants to be hungry. Nobody wants to be sad. And nobody wants to be hated. Let's just be honest. And does anybody in this room want to be poor, sad, hated, uh, or disliked? Okay. However, Jesus says that those who are, are going to be the ones who receive the most glorious blessings of God. Now, how crazy is that? Jesus contrasts these things that the world seeks, that we seek a lot of times, to make us happy and to fulfill us. And he takes those things and he turns them upside down. Ask yourself this, in Jesus' blessed statements here, what does the world seek to fulfill them? Don't answer out loud, what, but, but think about that. What do we seek? Even as Christians, what do we seek in our lives that we think is going to offer us some kind of fulfillment? How about wealth? How about riches? How about fame? How about, how about things? How about being well-fed? What was the third one? Blessed are you who, uh, who hunger. Blessed are you who weep.
contrasts, let me, let me mention this real quick. I'm going to get deeper into this. But a, a few verses down, he contrasts, um, blessed are you who weep with woe to you who laugh. How many, how many, how many, how many folks that seek fulfillment through entertainment, through partying? I, I was in my 20s at one time. Okay, that's what he's talking about. That's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what he's talking about. They partied in Jesus' day too. How many of us want people to like them? How many of us strive to get people to like us for whatever reason? You see, this stuff speaks to the things that the world valued the most in Jesus' time, just as it does our today. But he says in no uncertain terms, yeah, you know, these things may make you temporarily happy, but they're going to be fleeting. They're going to be fleeting. He doesn't deny that they're going to give us some sense of fulfillment, carnal fulfillment, but it's fleeting. And, it's, and, and you're not going to inherit what we're talking about, the kingdom of God. 23, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to skip that because I'm, I'm going, going over my time already. But 27 through 36 speaks to the subject of loving our enemies. And I'm relatively sure that we've talked about this here before because um, it's one of those subjects that I, that I just like to talk about. Uh, I think that's probably, this is probably, this whole idea, this whole subject of enemy love is probably one of the hardest of Jesus' teachings for us to swallow because it goes against absolutely everything in our human nature. It goes against everything in what I would call our sinful nature. And on this particular teaching, we will absolutely fight Jesus' tooth and nail because in our minds it is preposterous that He really means for us to do this. Yet that's exactly what He's saying. I think this is one of those simple teachings of Christ. It's one of those plain teachings of Christ where He actually means for us to be and do what He says be and do. 27 through 31, But to you who are listening, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That is the toughest teaching in the world, I believe, for us to swallow. It's, if, it, if it isn't the toughest, it's in the top doggone three. This goes against every fiber of our being. Not only does he tell us to love our enemy, he tells us to go above and beyond when we are hurt by our enemy. He says that they ask you for something, give them something and give them something additional just for the sake of it. He says that they steal from you, <laughs> give them something additional. Give to everyone who asks you, how many times do we like, how much do we like to justify when somebody asks us for something? They don't deserve it. They don't need this, blah, 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 whatever the excuse is. Funny how we don't like to quote this scripture a whole lot, isn't it? Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. This one's a tough one. 
It's a tough one, but it is the words of Jesus. Thirty-two through thirty-six. And this is who we are, I, you know. I, this can, and I, I'm not, I'm not criticizing or critiquing any of you. I'm, I'm critiquing myself because I'm like this. I'm like this. I recognize this in myself all day long. But I want to be like this. Thirty-two. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you love those who love you. What credit is that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that? Even sinners do that too. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Let me ask you guys this. What are our Christian values? What are our Christian values? Every election season we get, we talk about we're voting our Christian values. What are our Christian values? Because if we're following Scripture and we're following Jesus and what Jesus said, I'm going to say that mercy has got to be in the top three. Mercy, outrageous, inconceivable mercy and love have to top the list of our Christian values. I ain't telling you how to vote. I'm just, I just use that as an example. What I'm saying is what do we think of when we, when we talk about our Christian values in general? Because when I think of what my Christian values are, even though I don't live them out, compassion, love, and mercy, outrageous, crazy mercy, are the first thing that comes to mind. Personally, I would add the idea of biblical justice to that list. Because I believe that God calls us to fix things, to right things that are wrong. I think He gives example after example after example of what God's justice looks like. That's my idea of my Christian values. Again, even though I fall woefully short of wearing those out, when I think, what are my Christian values? Those would be the top four. Love, compassion, crazy, crazy mercy, and God's justice. I don't live up to those standards. But I'm going to bet, and maybe, and maybe you don't either, it's not up to me to, judge, to make that judgment. But I am willing to bet that everybody in this room can think of somebody in your life that has, or who does, or who has at least come very, 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 very close to it anyway. So here's where I want you to start doing a little thinking. Who are the saints in your life? Or who have been, more specifically? The saints in your life, those who, have, those who have gone before us. Other than Jesus himself, who are those people that, that reflect these ideas, that reflect these, these, uh, these characteristics, these values of outrageous love, outrageous mercy, outrageous compassion, outrageous justice? Those who have gone before us, 
because I know everybody in this room can think of at least one. Those very, very special people in our lives who, who, are, who are literally one in a million. But they cross our paths and they inspire us and they teach us and they model the heart, the mind, and the actions of a follower of Jesus Christ for us. They've laid that path for us as disciples of Christ. It probably comes as no surprise. I mentioned it in the beginning. The person that comes to my mind every, every time without fail is my mom. Uh, some of y'all knew her. And I, I know I mention her very frequently in, some, in a lot of my sermons. <clears throat> but that's who comes to mind because she laid that path for me. <clears throat> and she reflected that <clears throat> in her heart, in her words, and in her actions. And all of you, I'm sure, have got somebody or have had somebody like that in your life. So as we go through our communion today, let's reflect on those people during our All Saints Day, All Saints Sunday. Remember those people also as we remember Christ and, and we embrace Christ and remember His sacrifice and celebrate.